Well, good morning. Can everybody hear me okay? I'd like to read from the scriptures today from Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 37. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the day of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And, he said to, and they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with everybody here in God's creation. I, I love being outside for worship, and I'm excited you're here, either whether you're online with us today or, or you're here in person. Uh, I'm just so glad that you're here. I'm excited because today my mom is going to be baptized. My mom is over there in the yellow jacket, and I'm excited about it. And my dear friend Tina Evans is also going to be baptized, so we're excited about that. And then afterwards, you're all invited to our picnic right here. Now, the subject of the text that I just read is, is very difficult. It, it talks about what the condition of the world will be like when God comes and brings his final judgment to the world. And, you know, that seems like a really hard topic for a beautiful day like today with picnics and baptisms. But according to this text... Jesus is actually saying, from what I've said, it may be a beautiful morning like this when God's judgment comes. And because Jesus loves us so much, he wants us to be ready for that day. And he tells us the truth, even when sometimes it's uncomfortable. So why do this on the day of a picnic? Because what Jesus is actually talking about fits nicely to the theme of baptism. Baptism represents dying to our old lives and being born again into a new life in Christ. The kingdom of God will come in full at some point. And Jesus promises us a new heaven and a new earth, one with no pain, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more, and we will dwell with God forever in his kingdom. And we will have new, unperishable bodies and we'll feast together always with the ones we love in God's abundant provision. You know, today I hope we get a little taste of that future promise as we worship and feast together. And you know, the real reason, the main reason I'm teaching this text today is because in 2019 I decided to teach through the book of Luke. And Luke chapter 17, 26 through 37 is is really just where we're at today. See, at Crosswinds, we're serious about learning and understanding all of God's Word. We believe there's a benefit in wrestling through even the hard and the troubling parts of it. 
Now, there's some churches in town and around the country that never, ever talk about God's judgment for our sin. They say they just want to talk about a Jesus who loves everybody, and, and Jesus does love everybody. But because Jesus loves us, he's talking to his disciples about the reality of a coming judgment. And, and because he loves us, he wants us to be prepared for it. You know, friends, we're, we're not loving people if we hold back important truths just because they're uncomfortable to talk about. You know, after we finish this chapter, we're going to take a little summer break. And um, in August, we're starting a four-week series called Hot Topics. And I asked the congregation to provide us topics anonymously, and then we had them rate them and rank them. And here's the topics we're going to do in August. The first one is God in women. The question was asked, why don't we let women preach at Crosswinds? And actually, we do. And I hope more women at Crosswinds preach the gospel and have gospel conversations every day. But we're going to sit here and learn from God's word how God wants us to be, do that orderly in his church. And I titled all these topics, God and, because I don't want to bring you my opinion of what his word says on things that it could be controversial in the church. I want us to, to look at what God is actually saying. And the next topic is God and government. The question was, the Bible says that everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities. What do we do as Christians when those governing authorities are turning away from God and his word? That's not a relevant question at all, is it? Okay, third topic, God and dying. God and dying. The question was, burial versus cremation. What does the Bible say? You know, we'll all face that tough decision someday, either for ourselves or for a loved one. And let's be prepared for that day by studying his word. The last message is God and sex. And the question submitted is, why are same-sex relationships such a taboo when all people sin in all kinds of ways? You know, I, I believe that's a really good question, an important question for us to look at today in 2023. See, the Bible doesn't rank sins in order of importance. And there are lots of ways that we all depart from God's word and so all those ways, uh, when we get outside of his design, are taboo. And to love and understand our neighbors who are same-sex attracted and opposite-sex attracted, we should clearly understand what the Bible has to say of how we use this gift God has given us called sex. So I hope you will be here to join us for that. Friends, none of those topics are easy. I'm going to be studying a lot. And uh, I hope you're here to join with me each week so that we can wrestle together with his word. Today's message is a true life preserver. And when the flood of God judgment comes to this world for our sin, we want to be holding on to the right life preserver, hanging on to what truly will save us. So if you have a Bible today or an app in your phone, let's open it, Luke chapter 17. Let's dive in and look at these verses, starting in verse 26. Now, before I do that, in verses 20 through 25, the disciples and the Pharisees were asking Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. You know, today many people argue about where and when the end of the world is coming. But I would like to eat soon, so we're not going to argue. And Jesus says this, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the Son, 
but only the Father only. So the arguments are fruitless. Anyone who says they know, Jesus tells us not to follow them. So let's save time and get to lunch quicker by not expressing those opinions. Instead, today Jesus gives us two illustrations about what the day will be like when he comes. And then he tells us how to respond. And the first illustration he gives us is in verse 26 through 27. He says, Just as it was in the day of Noah's, so will it be in the day of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and a flood came and destroyed them all. And so Jesus tells us what it will be like. It will be like the day of Noah. First, I want to tell you that at Crosswinds, we believe all of God's word is true, both the Old and the New Testament. And the reason is because of verses like this. Many people today in progressive churches want to dismiss the whole Old Testament because it talks about things like judgment. And then the story of Noah is often dismissed because the narrative seems either too simple or too fantastic for many modern readers to believe. But Jesus, he believed it to be true. Why would he use an illustration for something as, as, as important as the second coming if he didn't believe it was true? If you believe Jesus is God, Scripture says God does not lie, why would he talk about something that was not true? Actually, one-tenth of the words Jesus spoke are from the Old Testament. In, in the four Gospels, 180 of 1,800 verses are either, are, are either Old Testament quotes, allusions, or illustrations. Noah today is an illustration of what things will be like when judgment comes. And here's what Genesis 6, 5 says about those days. The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention and thought of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. Has anybody watched the news lately? Does this fit? Could we say that it's similar to today? You know, 332 people have been shot in Chicago so far this summer. Do you know how many mass shootings have happened in the U.S. this year? I was shocked. 260. With 248 people killed and, and 953 injured. And right now, there are 32 ongoing conflicts, wars happening where tens of thousands have been killed this year. And God said this to Noah in Genesis 6, 13. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And he's talking about us. So how did this judgment come to God's, or to the people? First, it came suddenly. And second, it came at a time that they did not expect. Jesus is saying that the people of Noah's days had no concern for it. Instead, they were more concerned with eating and drinking, more concerned with getting married, having sex, having babies. They didn't care what the Creator thought. They just did what felt good. Sound anything like modern life today? Most people are taking pictures of their food, sharing them on social media, swiping right to have sex. I think I've never used that, but I think it's right, left, whatever, online dating. Um, chasing after all their kids' activities. Some are fighting and being violent. 
And most simply do not care what God has to say. Well, God did try to warn the people of Noah's day. Yeah, he sent them a strange preacher called Noah. And they thought he was cray-cray. Because he was talking that God was going to judge them for their sins. Now, Noah's not preaching in a church. He's out in his backyard building this massive 500-foot-long um, uh, structure, 51 feet high and 80 feet, 5 feet wide. Probably take up most of our parking lot. So he's out there doing that. And um, people are coming by and say, hey, Noah, what the heck are you doing? What, 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 what's going on here? And Noah's sermon was, well, God told me he's going to wipe us all out because of our sin. And he, he's going to make the rain flood the earth. And they're like, dude, what's rain? See, if you read Genesis, it hadn't rained yet when Noah came. The planet was different. There, there's believed there was a water vapor around it at that time. At some point, that came and broke. And that's where a lot of the water came and also from the earth. So um, they had never seen rain. So they all thought the old man was crazy talking about his God. And they said, let's keep eating and drinking and having fun. Hakuna Matata. Dude, if your God told you that, he must be crazy too. And then when they felt a few drops, they just kept on living the way they were living, eating and drinking. And Jesus tells us, none of them believed God's preacher. And none of them repented. And so they all got wiped out. And many today say, that could not have happened. But you know, a, a universal flood is part of the mythology and legend of almost every human culture on earth. And the fossil record shows many different types of animals were wiped out all at the same time. Plus, Jesus said it happened. And only Noah and his family were saved. And God promised never to flood the earth again after Noah and his family were saved. But the prophet Joel speaks about another day of judgment that would come to the world for our sin. And those who repented and believed and turned to the Lord would be saved. And then Jesus gives us another Old Testament illustration about what this day will be like. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And so will it be when the Son of Man is revealed. So what are the people doing when disaster comes this time? Eating, drinking, going shopping, going to work, selling their products, planting crops, building homes and businesses. Sounds like an ordinary day in America today. And then disaster comes without warning. Fire and sulfur raining down from heaven, destroying them all. What are the people focused on? They're all focused on the temporal things of this earth, not concerned at all with God and his word. And Genesis 13, 13 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked. They were great sinners against the Lord. The people just simply had no fear or accountability to their creator. They had completely departed from him and his ways. And even when God sends two angels, messengers, they're not interested in talking to him, learning what God has to say. Instead, they want to have sex with the angels. See, the lives of the people in that city were all about satisfying their own needs 
But what made the people of Sodom so wicked? Ezekiel 16.49 says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Does that sound at all like the world today? The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. The richest 1% um, own more than half of the world's wealth. And the poorest of the world's population own less than 1% of the wealth. And friends, we live in the richest country in the world. And do most people here really care about our brothers and sisters living in poverty like the ones Andre and Rina are serving in Burundi, the poorest nation on earth? Or do we care more about decorating our homes, getting new cars, our daily Starbucks, our gourmet food, and what's the new bargain gadget on Amazon? God's word or principle gives to his church a, a charitable giving of 10% of our income. And, and he's even promised to bless us for it. So do we as evangelicals who claim to have the truth do this on average? No. On average, we give only 4.6%. Other religions actually do better. Mormons give 10.2%. Jews, 7.5%. Muslims, 5.3%. And even atheists or unaffiliated groups give about 2.6%. And Jesus gave us his all, his life. Could his church in America possibly be living in pride, excess food, and prosperous ease as the children all over the world starve? Crosswinds, I believe you do better than most. As a church, we have always given 10% of what comes in on a Sunday to help world missions that provide for the poorest like the ones in Burundi. Actually, last year, because of your generous gifts, uh, the generous gifts of a few, we gave over 20% of what came in to the poor and the needy. $40,000 was given, or more, was given to help people around the world. But as a country, looking at those large statistics, is the climate right for judgment? If we don't, Repent of our pride and our greed for temporal things. James 5, 1 through 3 says, Come now, you rich, weep, howl, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures for the last days. James 5, 1 through 3. Friends, I don't care what you say you believe. Jesus said, by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say it was by our greed and our desire for consumable things like food and drink. So maybe you're a good steward of the resources God has given you and you don't blow your money on food and drink, but do you share what you've been blessed with by God, or are you just storing all that up for yourselves? Will what you have stored up for yourselves do you or anyone else good when judgment comes? 
Jesus said, all will be revealed in his second coming. Friends, you and I will not be able to hide our selfishness. We won't be able to hide that we did not help our poor brothers and sisters. Friends, it doesn't matter how much religious knowledge you have, how many religious ceremonies you obey. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, Jesus is, is warning us about making your kingdom in this world instead of living for his kingdom. People who live in his kingdom of heaven act with care and act with kindness towards their neighbors. What will he find you doing when he comes? If he comes today on this nice morning. Because he is saying that disaster will come quickly and unexpectedly. And we must make ourselves ready by doing his work of helping and sharing the gospel with others. And verse 31 says, On that day, let not the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. See, most of the homes in, in, the, in these days would have had flat roofs. And, and you would have hung out on your flat roof uh, to have better security, to see people coming, to, to um, stay cool, have a little extra space. And Jesus is telling you, when disaster comes, you don't run down the ladder on the backside of your house and, and run into your house and, and grab all your worldly, worldly goods. He says, run, run to safety. And then he says that nothing in that house is it's going to save you. And likewise, if you're out working in the field and you see an army coming down on your village, you're not to run back to get your stuff and be slaughtered. You're to leave everything behind. Jesus is saying we're not to put our hope in the things of this world. Instead, we are to run to God now for mercy. And friends, that's what repentance is. Friends, we need to leave our sin and our selfishness behind now because we don't know when that day is going to come. And if we wait, it could be too late. And so both the Pharisees and the disciples have been asking where and when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus has been telling him, it's not a time. It's not a place. It's here in the midst of you. So, so come to me now and be saved. Friends, don't ignore him and his message of grace to you now. He is the true life preserver. Friends, don't leave this planet without him. Then Jesus says something really unexpected. He says, remember Lot's wife. You know, actually, the Bible doesn't say much about Lot's wife. It just says she looked back to her old life when judgment came. And she received God's judgment and turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus in this so far has moved from an illustration of what happens to the entire world, to a city, and now an individual. Now in the scripture, we're not even given her name. We don't even know that Lot had a wife in Genesis until we hear that he has daughters. But out of the 170 women mentioned in the scriptures, she is the only one Jesus tells us to remember. You would think it'd be Eve because she's first and everybody thinks she caused all the problems. You may think it should be Sarah because she popped out a kid at 90 with no drugs wandering around the country. 
you might think it's his mother Mary. Because that girl gave birth at like 14 or 15 to the Son of God. No. Out of the 170 women mentioned, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. At the judgment, we are to remember the second shortest verse in the Bible. Do you know the first? Jesus wept. Second shortest verse, remember Lot's wife. Why? Why do we remember Lot's wife? Because she's an example of what we're not to do. We're not to do what she did if we want to enter the kingdom of God. We're not to look back. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 6, or 9, uh, verse 63. He says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The disciples and the Pharisees are both asking Jesus where and when they can come to God, or God's kingdom is coming. And Jesus is telling him, don't look where it isn't. It's not looking back to your religious traditions. It's not looking back at your sin and your shame. It's not looking back at your past successes. It's not looking back at your past failures. See, you can't go down into your house and grab your memories and find it there. You can't run back to your village and defend the past. When the kingdom of God comes to your life, you must move forward and enter it. Jesus then says this, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And there Jesus is, the the true life preserver, right there in their midst. And today, because his people are gathered, he's right here in our midst. See, your tradition won't float you when judgment comes. Your wealth won't float you when judgment comes. Your beauty and fitness won't float you when Jesus comes. Your hobbies and your recreational activities won't float when Jesus comes. Pride in your sexuality, your country, your race, or your popularity won't float when Jesus comes. Friends, whatever is keeping you from coming and serving him now, friends, it just won't float. When the flood of judgment comes upon you. The truth is there's only one true life preserver that will keep you afloat. Jesus, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so you better have a relationship and and trust him right now so you don't sink to the pit of hell. Friends, Think about it. What are you trying to preserve your life with right now that's going to sink? It's just going to sink. What are you looking back to right now that's leaving you stuck? Stuck in this life and in eternity. Is it some good old days of the past? Is it some religious experience Is it something bad about yourself that someday you hope to change? Is it someone you just can't forgive, maybe even yourself? Friends, are you going to cling to the memory of your sin or their sin like an anchor sinking you straight down to hell? Or are you going to come and repent and turn to Jesus and, and receive his forgiveness and give that same forgiveness to others and not look back. When we enter Jesus' kingdom, friends, he makes all things new. And today, he will make you new 
if you don't look back and if you don't shrink back. The scripture says we are not to look back to our old life in the past or, or someone else's past mistakes. We are to look forward to what Jesus is going to do in us and in them. The word of God says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. says, from now on, in verse 16, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though what we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Friends, remember Lot's wife. The way we escape judgment is to look forward in faith to what Jesus has done and will do to make us new. Friends, Lot was not a perfect guy. He was a mess, too. He believed, though, a promise from God, and he followed him in faith. And because of that promise of God's goodness and deliverance and faith, his uncle Abraham, he was praying for Lot when this disaster was about to come. Actually, Abraham was doing more than praying. He was negotiating. He was negotiating with God based on his goodness. He says, come on, God, if there are 50 good people in the city, you won't destroy it. And he says, hey, God, um, there's, if there's only 45, you're too good to destroy it. Right, right. And God says, yes. And he says, if there's only 30 there, you won't destroy it, will you? And God says, no, I won't destroy it. He says, what about if there are 10? You won't destroy it, will you? And God says, for the sake of 10 righteous in the city, I won't destroy it. But his angels came and scouted out the city, and they did not find even 10 in it. Even 10 people that didn't care just about eating and drinking. And Lot's own family had been corrupted by living in the sin of that modern city, in their culture. And, and Lot started to let that city and that culture warp his thinking. And when the men of the city came and surrounded his house and wanted to have sex with those angels that came, he said, hey guys, no, don't do that, that's awful. Um, have sex with my virgin daughters instead. See, he, he didn't want to offend anybody's cultural decadence. He didn't want to be canceled by his neighbors. And so he offers his own children so as not to offend the mob of their culture. And yet they, they still attacked because they were thinking God's messengers that were just going to judge them. But the angels rescued Lot and they, they told him they were going to destroy the city now. And he looks back and he, he tries to convince his, his son-in-laws to come out of the city. And they just laughed at him, believing more in their culture of their city than in God. And Lot is still lingering. He, he's still looking back at the w wicked city and with his twisted values but God had made a promise to Abraham and so the angel grabbed Lot and his daughters pulling them out of the entanglement of their past that past that would destroy them and the angel says escape for your life don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley escape to the hills or you'll be swept away and yet there's Lot still trying to negotiate a deal with the angels so that he could stay near the city He's still trying to look back at the past life in the world. And, and as Lot finally flees to the safety of a nearby city, his wife takes an opportunity to have a glance back. 
Remember Lot's wife? She almost made it. She was standing behind her man with an angel dragging her to escape the judgment. She was so close to being free, but her husband was not listening to the word of God through the angels. And maybe she just starts thinking, hey, we just put new dial down in that house. The city was wicked, but shopping was so convenient. Its artists, while they were morally decadent, they were very entertaining. Oh, the food and the drinks of that city were just the best. You know those guys, my daughter, we're going to marry, they're a little rough around the edges. They're far from God. But they would have taken care of our daughters, and then, you know, Lot and I we could have re- enjoyed our retirement in ease. You know, my life in that wicked place was pretty great. And besides, it's a beautiful day like today. We should just have a picnic and, and not worry about it. And then she disobeys the one thing the angel told her not to do. She looked back. She turned to a pillar of salt. Her heart was trying to preserve her life back in Sodom. And because of that, she lost it. God's judgment came upon her. She was so close to the kingdom of God, but but close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. To enter the kingdom of God, you can't be close. You can't look back. Catherine Ehret said, if you can't be a good example, then you just have to be a horrible warning. And that's what Lot's wife is, a horrible warning. That's what Jesus is giving us. He's saying, remember Lot's wife so that we won't look back and lose our entry to the kingdom. And then he illustrates some things we can be tempted to look back to. He says, I tell you that in the night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Could two-in-one bed describe the intimacy of our relationships that sometimes lead us to look back? For some, family relationships and relationships with other people are a blessing from God. But for others, intimate relationships become their God. They have to be married. They have to have sex. They have to. It becomes their God. Is, is your life about, mostly about having human relationships? Is, is your fear, is what you fear most the approval of other people? Is that going to be the thing that makes you look back? Now the two women grinding could represent our work life or the projects we, and causes that we give ourselves to. You know, work is a blessing from God, but it also can become our God. It can become that thing that makes us look back and try to preserve our life. It is important for us to have a relationship with God. And it's important for us to have relationships with others. God said it's not good for us to be alone. It's important for us to have meaningful work. God gave us that. These are gifts that he's given us. But for some of us, those good things he gave us become our God things. 
the things that we're trying to preserve our own life with. And, and friends, the good things can trip us off often more than what we consider bad. See, Jesus does not point out the sexual decadency of Sodom as its reason for destruction. It was his pride. It was its selfishness. It was its self-indulgence. It was its prosperous ease. In verse 37, the disciples said to him, Where, Lord? And Jesus already told them that the kingdom of God is not found in this time or in this place. It's not in the here or the there. And they wanted to know the where and the when because they're still too clinging to this life. They wanted to know how quickly it will come so they can get away from it. See, it's about their agenda, not God's. And it's our own agenda that can trip us up and cause us to look back. Friends, the kingdom is in your midst. It's not found in the here or the there. It's found in surrender. It's found in surrender. If you have surrendered to him, you will go to him when disaster strikes and your life will be preserved. And he said to him, where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. And some scholars think that's a a cultural idiom like, slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just listen to me. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. 50 ways to leave the loves of your life. Now, I think Jesus is saying, There's only one way to be free. Die now. Surrender your life and live. Jesus said this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and then on the third day be raised. Luke 9.22. Which is almost the exact same thing he said to the disciples and the Pharisees when they're asking him about when his kingdom will come. Disciples who follow him enter his kingdom by doing the same thing, surrendering their lives and letting God's will be done in their lives. See, from the time Jesus turned his face towards the cross in Jerusalem, he never looked back. He had close to 5,000 people following him when this happened. And when they understood his commitment was to die, they all turned away. They all looked back to their lives. And as Jesus received God's judgment for our sin on the cross, the vultures did gather around him, the Romans and the Pharisees. And he did not try to look back and preserve his life, even though he had the power to do so. Instead, he gave his life. He gave his body and his blood for us. The Apostle Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Galatians 2.20 Then Jesus was raised on the third day. God preserved his Holy One from the corruption of the grave. 
and those who repent and believe, surrendering their lives to him, will be forgiven of their sin and they will be given everlasting life. But we must not look back. Instead, we must die to our old lives and be born again. Today, friends, are you looking back at your sin? I want you to know Jesus has put it to death. Today, are you ready to stop looking back at the shame of the sins done to you? Because Jesus has despised your shame for you, and he has put to death, and he has made you clean. He has washed you new. Today, are you ready to live forever? Then come die to this world and be born again into a new life in his kingdom. Today, grab hold of a true life preserver that will see you through any disaster, even the end of the world. He will save you from if you will surrender to him. Friends, keep your eyes fixed on your king as your Lord and as your Savior. And you will be preserved. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us enough to be honest with us and to give us your word. Father, help me and help my friends to turn from the the things that don't float in this world, the things that will never save us, like our money and our popularity and our leisure. Lord, let us turn to you. Let, Let us die to those things. Let them be not as important as who you are. Let us come and follow you. Let us be like Peter who who has best day ever in fishing and and he left it all for you. Father, work in our hearts right now. Let us remember Lot's wife who looked back and fell into judgment. Lord, let us look forward to you. Let us look to you as our Lord and Savior and be saved forever, preserved forever. Father, today, if there's anybody here who's not repented and believed, may they do that right now, right where they're at. May they mentally turn from their sin and turn to you and say, I I believe, I trust in you. I'm going to hold on to you through all life's storms. Father, lead them to do that today, that their hearts may know peace. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.